Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode of the Journey Women Podcast, I'm chatting with Dr. Sandra Glon about women with a past. We revisited the sexualized, vilified, and marginalized women in the Bible. You'll find this conversation a helpful tool for your own personal Bible study, and I think it'll be an encouragement to you in your personal life as well. So you'll know her a little better. Dr. Glon is basically a baller. (laughs) There's no other way to put it. She teaches on-campus classes at Dallas Theological Seminary, as well as an immersion course in Italy on medieval art and spirituality, and immersion courses in writing and in worship. Dr. Glon is a multi-published author of both fiction and nonfiction, a journalist and a speaker who advocates for thinking that transforms, especially on topics relating to art, gender, sexual intimacy and marriage, and first century backgrounds as they relate to gender. I cannot wait for you to hear from her today, but you know before I do that I want to tell you about the sponsors that help to make this conversation possible, HelloFresh and Skylar. Skylar is a self-care lifestyle brand that creates perfumes and candles with natural ingredients. Their philosophy is to use the good and lose the bad. Skylar perfumes are made from natural ingredients and are free of parabens, phthalates, and other potentially harmful chemicals. Each perfume is consciously crafted with a blend of real flowers, fresh fruit, and essential oils to create great scents that aren't overpowering. I love the aisle scent because it's just the right amount of fresh to spruce up any space without just going over the top. You can check out their website to use a fun, interactive quiz to help you find your perfect scent. Check out their four scents, arrow, coral, aisle, and meadow. For a limited time, Skylar is offering Journey Women listeners this sample palette to try all four scents with free shipping, plus earn a $20 credit towards your next full-size perfume purchase. Try Skylar risk-free with their happiness guarantee that offers free returns within 30 days. Just visit skylar.com slash journeywomen. That's S-K-Y-L-A-R dot com backslash journeywomen. Now, on to my conversation with Dr. Sandra Glahn. Welcome to the Journey Women podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I, I am so excited to have you on the show today. Um, I got your book in the mail from your, I guess, is it your publisher or is it your yeah, publicist? Probably the publicist. Publicist, that's yep. right. And I was at TGCW last week, Dr. Glenn, sitting in a class, like a breakout session on women in leadership. And they mentioned your book from the stage. And I was sitting in the back like, yes, I get to I talk just to her like that. next week. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> Very fun. Yes. And you're an author. You're a, you're a leader. Um, you're also a teacher at Dallas Theological Seminary. But I'd love for the listeners to get to hear a little bit more from you about who you are and what you do. Sure. Well, I am the fourth of five kids, and I wanted nothing more than to grow up and be a mommy of a big family that had awesome harmony on road trips, just like our family did. Um, but that was not <laughs> what the Lord had for us. Uh, I I uh, married my high school sweetheart, and we thought we were going to have a big family, and he's going to be a pastor. And the Lord kept closing doors for him to be a pastor, and he kept closing doors for us to be parents. And, mm. you know, you look back on that, and I remember my dad often saying, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. I'm sure mm. you've heard that. And, uh, you know, who 
actually lives the life they think they're going to live. Right? Yeah, yeah, not um, me. <laughs> so, right, exactly. So I didn't really have any other vision for womanhood. Mm. You know, I had so wow. idealized motherhood, which is a good thing to uphold, but I had gone sort of the opposite extreme and didn't have any other vision for what, you know, God's view of woman was. And so my infertility, we it spanned uh, 10 years where we had seven mm-hmm. pregnancy losses, three failed adoptions before we finally adopted our daughter, who's, who's now 23. So this is, you know, this is just the foundation of sort of where my ministry went. Um, But it sent me back to Genesis to relook at the entire Bible to ask, where did I miss this woman thing? You know, where did I, did I get off base thinking there's only one ideal plan, Mm -hmm. which can you imagine how I would have sounded to singles? Like I just, just didn't, Mm-hmm. You know, I only had one view. And so as I look at what it means to be made in God's image and and um, and I'm seeing things like, yes, multiplying was a partnership job, with, but so was having dominion, you yeah. know, and, and at the end of Revelation, they're reigning together. So what does it mean to be a woman who is not, a, you know, radical feminist, but who also has a high view of women doing something other than motherhood? And so, because that, that really was for a number of years, you know, where I was mm-hmm. and I didn't want to just live marking time, sort of like, a, you know, if you're a single who wants to be married, just waiting for the guy and not living your life, right? I didn't want to be just living my life waiting till totally. I could be a parent. Yeah. Totally. So, um, and I had a boss uh, at uh, a financial services company who mm-hmm. sort of saw in me an ability to write. And so he spent some of the company money to send me to seminars and to study with best-selling writers. And, and I really loved it. Uh, and so I was mostly writing corporate stuff, um, policy manuals, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But I, one of the workshops I attended said freelance so that you become a better writer because it puts you under a multitude of editors. So I began to freelance and pretty soon I was telling my story, which I hadn't, you know, had definitely not set out to do. And so, you know, here I am a couple of decades later and written more than 20 books and love writing, but I also love teaching other writers with something worth saying how to write. And it is so cool, Dr. Glenn, to hear the story behind all of that, because this is the first book that I've dived into of yours. I'm really excited to look at your other work because it seems like you focus a lot on like um, sexuality and things like that. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Because I, again, I had to have a vision for, you know, what is it? Can I do in vitro? And if not, what's wrong with that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you walk Mm -hmm. through infertility, I'd heard sort of two extremes. One was anything goes in treatment, but the other was don't do anything. It's out of the will of God. If God wants you to have a kid, you know, yeah. make it happen. And we really had to navigate that wisdom road sort of down the middle of, you know, if I had cancer, I'd do chemo. <laughs> if I had, yeah. uh, you know, diabetes, I'd take my shots. And so looking at what is an appropriate use of medicine, what is a good theology of the body, what can I do and can't do? Certainly we're going to value life at the one cell stage, but you know, just all of those issues I had to wrestle through in addition to who am I and what am I here for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so cool to see how um, these books and really probably your teaching, I imagine, is an overflow of what God has been teaching you. Um, And the book that I picked up was about vindicating the vixens and revisiting the sexualized, the vilified, the marginalized women of the Bible. And um, I'd love to focus in on that topic today, just kind of talking about women with the past 
And uh, you mentioned that in the in your book, you mentioned that there's a number of women in the Bible who have either been falsely accused or their actual sexual sin has been held against them. Like you say, like a scarlet A, right. when that sin wasn't even the point of the biblical writer. So can we talk about like, who are some of the women in the Bible yeah. that you wanted to help us take a second look at by putting together this book? For sure. And some of this is my own journey. It's not that I'm saying other people have vilified these women and they're, you know, they're evil. It's yeah. that I myself, I myself lost all these role models I could have had. I looked at scripture and thought it was mostly male role models and fallen women. And so just for an example, uh, the woman at the well that Jesus meets mm. and, you know, I have always been taught that Jesus begins with her sin. Woman, you have five husbands when you have now is your own. And so that's the way we share the gospel is by starting with you're a sinner. But if you, once you learn a little more about the cultural background and also church history, Mm -hmm. uh, church history did not see this woman as a fallen woman, actually, until after the Reformation, um, which is really interesting to me. Um, So if you think about what we know that gets recited every Easter about a woman's testimony in court, it's that she didn't have one. So this woman could not just walk into court, you know, five times and dump her husband. Mm. Um, and if you also know that the number one cause of death for men at this time is war, then, and you, then you think, okay, what if this woman has lost Mm. husband after husband? Mm. What a, what a horrible suffering life she's had. And in a world where she can't just put on her pair of heels and go get a job, she, she is dependent on a man to eat. And so, then when we read the one you have now isn't even your own, we read that as so you're shacking up with some guy because that's what it would mean in 21st century right. America. But in a world where men had more than one wife, especially if a woman didn't have children, mm-hmm. um, especially if she's widowed so that mm-hmm. she can eat, then we could reread that story as you have had, you know, go call your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right. You have lost all these husbands and now you even have to share one. Mm-hmm. And the next thing, you know, she's like, I perceive you're a prophet. We have read that as she's changing the subject because she's deflecting Jesus on her sin. But what if Jesus, she is hearing compassion in Jesus's voice mm-hmm. and she starts talking mm-hmm. about when Messiah comes, he's going to show us everything. So this is an older widowed woman with a lot of suffering, hoping for Messiah. And what does Jesus say to her? I'm it. He doesn't say that to anybody else. He's always veiling it. Who do you say I am? What do you think? What does scripture mm-hmm. say? He comes right out with it with this woman. And she, he never does get a drink, poor Jesus. You know, she just <laughs> runs off to tell everybody mm-hmm. this great news that she has. So what if when we present the gospel, we present it as Jesus sees your pain. Mm. Jesus knows your suffering. Jesus knows everything. He's God. It doesn't change how we view the whole book of of John, where the uh, book where the story appears in John chapter four. I mean, we've always sort of seen that mm-hmm. Jesus is God, but we've really missed his approach to people. I think mm, that is so good, Doctor Glon. I so I admit, I normally read all of the books before we do the interviews. Well, I thought that I could take your book just like I've taken every other book and read it in a few days because I'm kind of a voracious reader. 
And that is not true. Your book is dense. (laughs) I am like underlining everything and Mm. really, truly like having to take my Bible out and study alongside your writing. It's not that it's not interesting, that it's hard to take in. It's just a lot of information and differently presented, like you're saying, than the way in which I've heard things or read things in the past. And so I just want to say that I didn't make it to that. And it's just so cool to hear you describe that. I would love for you to describe what is it that we miss out on when we're reading these stories, the women of the Bible, the women with the past, if you will, what do we miss out on when we read them incorrectly? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think to answer that, I have to pull the camera back a little bit and say, this book, I'm the general editor of a compilation where I asked 14 different scholars to do a chapter on the person of their specialty. So they didn't know about each other necessarily. But so, for example, Tony Maloof, an Arab scholar, writes about Hagar. And he sees things and the promises to Hagar that those of us in majority culture don't see because we're reading it pretty much siding with Sarah. Yeah, Um, yeah, But the African-American church, you know, saw through Hagar's Mm -hmm. eyes. They saw through the Mm -hmm. eyes of the slave and and they saw those promises God made and that God hears her and he's the God who sees. They they read it very differently. And so one of the things that surprised me as each of the chapters came in, I thought we were just vindicating these women. But the authors had the wisdom to go one step further and say, so what have we missed By reading this in the story, we're missing something the author's intending for us to see. Mm -hmm. And over and over, what we've missed is God's heart for the marginalized, God's Mm. heart for the powerless. Mm. Take Jesus' genealogy. We think that's about all these women who commit sexual sin. And so, okay, it's cool that we teach grace, but we could do that with other people in the story like Judah and David, Solomon. Like, you know, there's plenty of sexual sin in there. But if if you look at what, say, Matthew is doing when he writes his genealogy, mm-hmm. he is setting up Jewish readers to have their minds blown that Gentiles are essential. Mm-hmm. Not just like not just part of the promises and peripheral, but you don't have Jesus unless you have Tamar, a Gentile. Mm. Bathsheba is the wife of Uriah the fill in the blank. Hittite. Yes. Right? Ruth is from Moab. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so each of these people mm-hmm. are not just Gentiles, but they're some of like the worst possible kinds of Gentiles. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's this promise that was made to Abraham that through you, all the nations mm-hmm. of the earth will be blessed. And the Jesus is the king, not just king of the Jews, essential mm-hmm. as that is. He's, he's king of kings and lord of lords. You have the Magi coming, the Gentile kings coming to worship him. Jesus is Lord of the Jew and the Gentile. And what that means for Jews is they got to move over and make room for the people that have been outsiders. Yeah. And so Matthew begins his, his gospel that way with this pedigree of the King of Kings. And if we miss the outsiders mm-hmm. and read it just as sexual mm-hmm. sin, then again, we do come away with God as a God of grace, but we miss something way bigger than his ability to redeem a messed up life. Yes, yes. Okay, well, you mentioned that a lot of the women that we're looking at, um, people look at them and they just think, oh, sexual sin, you know, Scarlet A, whatever. What are some other examples of poor applications that we have drawn for ourselves from these stories? Well, we included, oddly enough, the Virgin Mary in one of the chapters, and she is one of the marginalized because ever since the Reformation, 
Mm-hmm. You know, the typical Protestant says, oh, those people were doing Mary worship, whether or not they were. And therefore, I don't think I've ever done a women's Bible study that included Mary, who's the the most mentioned woman in the New Testament and the fourth most mentioned person in the New Testament. And she's this awesome example of simple faith. You, This woman is probably in her late teens, you know, mid to late teens. And you over here, you've got Zechariah, who, you know, he's told your old wife's going to have a baby. And is there precedent for that? Well, yes, there is with Sarah and Abraham. But does he believe? No. Is he a priest? Mm-hmm. Yes. Should he believe? Yes. Mm-hmm. Contrast that, and the author's setting this up as a foil. Mm-hmm. You know, contrast that with Mary. Is there any precedent for a virgin birth? No. Does she have any sort of spiritual power? She's a female. She's not a priest. She's Mm. a teen. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so the people that should be getting it aren't. Yes. And the person who absolutely has no reason to, in her own strength, to to believe says, hey, whatever you say. Yeah. Let it be to to me, as you have said. Exactly. I mean, that is a life worth emulating. But we eliminate her because, you know, we don't want to overdo it. Yeah. So yeah. we miss we miss a lot by missing just following the example of Mary. You see her following Jesus her entire his entire life and she is committed to him and she's devoted to him and following him which you know think about a parent in a sense taking orders from her kid Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you go to Cana and you go, "Hey, uh, they need some wine." And he's like, "Uh, mom, <laughs> Mom, you know, let me call the shots on when I'm ready, right? Oh, yes. If he wasn't yeah. perfect, she would have been like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who do you think you are? Tell me no. Yeah. Totally. I get told what to do all the time, but yeah. it also yeah. comes with quite a few tantrums. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, what is one of the biggest mistakes? You know, all of these stories that we're talking about, they happen in the genre, the biblical genre of a biblical narrative, which some yeah. of the listeners, Dr. Glenn, may not know about biblical genres. So could you kind of explain yeah. um, what a biblical narrative is? And then I'd love to hear you talk about some of the biggest mistakes that we make as students of the Bible when we're approaching a biblical narrative account. Yeah, I, I would love to. So we make a couple mistakes when we approach narratives. One is going to the extreme of we can't base anything on a narrative because it's a narrative. Mm -hmm. But we can take a lot from a narrative. You can take the example of a Mary who has no reason to believe this crazy thing. And but because it's an angel of God believes it. Uh, You know, she says nothing is impossible with God. That is right in a narrative. But it's Mm -hmm. it's a truth that we can take away. A danger of a narrative is taking something like the story of David and Goliath, and he Mm. picks up three stones. So Mm -hmm. we say, we're going to make each stone mean something. And suddenly (laughs) you're creating a whole story that if the author was there looking at you, would be going, where are you getting that? Right. Right. Um, A a great example. I was guilty of that in my high school senior speech, by the way. (laughs) Okay. Well, most of us are guilty of most of these. I'm not here to accuse, only to help guide, you know. Been guilty of most of these myself. Solidarity. Um, Yeah, exactly. So we have a tendency, again, in the Protestant church, to know a lot about Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, which some of us even call the General Electric Power Company. Um, <laughs> and because, because Paul thinks like a Westerner. Hmm. This is based on this, is based on this, is based on this. And this is true, and that's logic. 
Um, but if, if I go to Africa, my husband works in East Africa. Mm. Um, those are pretty much the least favorite parts of the Bible. For one thing, because if you're pre-literate, mm. it's very difficult to put those in a mosaic. It's difficult to put those in a flannel graph. Yeah. It's difficult to, and so one of the things that I teach at Dallas Seminary is a course in medieval art and spirituality where we go to Italy for a couple of weeks and we pretend we can't read. And suddenly we realize that the Madonna and child that we as Protestants tend to read as Mary's bigger, Jesus is littler, therefore they're making Mary bigger than Jesus. We miss some of the, the symbols like often Mary's head is tilted toward Jesus or her hand is pointing to Jesus or Jesus is making this little sign with his fingers where two fingers touch and three are sticking up, which is, you know, stands for the three fingers sticking up as a trinity and the two touching is a dual nature of Jesus. And that is a visual picture of the incarnation. Wow. But we don't know how to read art because we kind of threw the art out with the Protestant Reformation. And yeah. Again, yeah. assumed it was all about idolatry. So mm-hmm. um, that comes right out of a narrative, right? I mean, yeah. what we know about Jesus as God comes out of, well, can he calm the sea? Yeah. Can you do that? I can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, can he mm-hmm. heal leprosy? Can he heal the blind? Yes. Can I, I can't do that. Can you do that? Nope. So you look at all these things that Jesus does and Jesus can do. Jesus knows what Nathaniel's thinking. Jesus knows the woman at the wells had five husbands and is now living with one she can't claim as her own. Um, Jesus does stuff in the narrative that tell us he is God. He's our savior. He is not like you and me. Um, So those are some of the things that, you know, that we take from the narratives. But one of the dangers of a narrative is reading into it. Mm. coming to the Bible anywhere that we pick up the Bible and saying, Mm -hmm. what is the author saying to me? Because that is a very me-focused way of reading the Bible. Mm -hmm. Imagine if I picked up, say, uh, the book The Firm that was written, right, um, you know, long ago. And I open it to a page that says, the attorney is going to Memphis. And I say, therefore, God must want me to go to Memphis. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's silliness to treat a book that way. Totally doesn't make sense. But we do that with the Bible. So we need to, again, pull the camera back and say, okay, who? We know the Holy Spirit is the author, but the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit always used humans. Who's the human author writing to and why? And often we, we get a why in the, you know, in the beginning. Yeah. The book of Acts, you know, most excellent Theophilus. You know, you asked me to sit down and create an account of all the things Jesus did and the disciples. So here it goes. So we have to first know who's the original author? Mm -hmm. And then we have to look at what are some ways that the culture is different from our own, from our own. And that might, you know, it's a wonderful time to be reading backgrounds because there's been not only an explosion of archeology, span but the internet means that all these Mm -hmm. scholars that didn't know about each other are suddenly finding each other. Mm. And there's been just an explosion of data. And honestly, that's a big part of why Vindicating the Vixens came about. Because a lot of these background information pieces we didn't have, we suddenly have that make a lot more sense. That's so cool. You know, I love how you also included in your book six questions that we can bring to the text so that we can help avoid some of the misconceptions that we make yeah. when we're approaching a text. Do you remember yeah. what those are? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I have them in front of me. And, and you know, sometimes people hear the word genre and go, oh, that sounds really academic. Yeah. And yet we use genres all the time. Dear totally. John, 
Yeah. Dear John means she's breaking up with you. Once <laughs> upon a time means get ready for a fairy story. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and they live happily ever after means it's the end of the fairy story. Um, so we have all these markers in our own speech for how we tell stories. Um, and even the way what we're reading or taking exactly, in. yeah. We poetry usually, you mm-hmm. know, the margins are way smaller. And you you come to Psalms and Proverbs and you see something very similar. So the first thing we look at is what does the text actually say? So if you look at the text of David and Bathsheba, for example, it never says. Bathsheba was, you know, hubba hubba trying to catch the king's attention. Right. It says the king, when everybody else is out at war, he's looking down into her courtyard. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't say she was bathing. It says she was washing. And uh, if you think, again, ancient Near East didn't have bathtubs. Right. Even if you think about our own soldiers in the Middle East, there, you know, when they do a baptism, they have to create in the sand with garbage bags, the equivalent of a bathtub because they don't exist. Yeah. People take spit baths in this part of the world. Water is way too precious. Totally. And so she's most likely not bathing with nothing on. She could just be washing her hands and feet, but he is, you know, being a bit of a voyeuristic kind of guy. Yeah. And, you know, exactly. Now I was in Mexico in a, in a poor village where a guy was bathing in a barrel do you think I stared? Of course not. I walked no, by and pretended yeah. I didn't notice. Like that's what a gentleman would do, even if she had been trying to seduce him, which the text doesn't say she was. He should have turned the other way. But instead, it's the word scent keeps appearing. So that's another thing. You start looking at, you know, what are what are the little details in the text? Mm-hmm. Uh, what mm-hmm. do I observe in about the text? I see David sent, David sent. And it doesn't say he sent a soldier. He sent soldiers. In fact, when he asked, who is this woman? Their their response to him is kind of like, uh, she's the wife of one of your mighty men of valor. Mm-hmm. And if that's not enough, like her dad is one of your advisors, i.e. David, what are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> um, but he still sends men for her. And then if you think about if if her husband is off at war uh, and the king summons her, what do you suppose she thinks? Mm-hmm. She's probably mm-hmm. thinking, I'm going to lose my husband. head if I don't go. <laughs> yeah. Not only that, my husband has probably been killed in battle. Oh my gosh. Right. Be sort of like the police officer showing totally. up. Your, right. That resonates with me as a mill spouse. We have a lot yes. of mill spouse listeners. Yeah. Yes. Of course you're going to go. It's the, exactly. It would never have crossed her mind that, that there's anything sexual going on here. I think she's probably, bracing herself for the worst and of course going Mm -hmm. to the commander-in-chief and then you know he helps himself to her Mm. and we Mm -hmm. avoid we don't even notice things in the text like it said Mm. she grieved for her husband like Mm. there this is a great injustice and also i think one of the things that we've learned me too has helped us really see this but really kind of started with president clinton just a a bigger acknowledgement that when there's a big difference in power that, well, we see this with a counselor and a patient, with a doctor and a patient, with a pastor and a parishioner. There's something about power that makes you more responsible Mm. because Mm. people are more vulnerable if they're under your power. And if your husband's commander in chief summons you, like that is not an equal power structure when you show up. No, it's not. Especially like speaking from a rank structure, like that is our lifestyle. No, like if I got got summoned by the colonel, it'd be like, okay, like I've got to go. Right, exactly. 
So then if the colonel starts messing you, you are in a terrible dilemma. Yeah. It's a terrible dilemma. So again, you know, we love David. And so we want to read the story that it's Bathsheba's fault. There is nothing in the text that suggests that. So then you ask, what does this text mean to the original audience? To the original audience, it's a big fat warning. Hey, if David could fall that far. You are not above this. You are not above this. David is a man after God's own heart. Mm -hmm. And he is abusing his power, helping himself sexually. And then when it doesn't work out, there's a cover-up that involves having one of his best men killed. Mm. Don't do it. Like, that's how it would have sounded to the original audience. They're not blaming Bathsheba. They're like, whoa, do not abuse power. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, what's timelessly relevant in this? It's more about power and abuse and sin and crime than about a woman who's trying to seduce a man. Yeah. And then, Dr. Glenn, it also strikes me how, I don't know, it just magnifies God's grace in David's life. You're like, oh, my word. You know, we can think that David's just this, you know, a man after God's own heart, killing the game, you know. And when you think about the fact that it could potentially be that he raped Bathsheba. Exactly. Golly, God's grace is so abundant. It makes you want to cry. And then you start to see other people differently when they've made a mistake that some of us might consider just unforgivable. Exactly. So we have read grace into the Bathsheba story when we've assumed that Bathsheba was seducing David. Mm. And so in that sense, we've, we've caught a glimpse of what the author is trying to say. But mm. but we have still sort of blamed women and made men not responsible for their behavior. Women have to be responsible for men's mm-hmm. lust. I mean, that is messed yeah. up. No, yeah. So turn that around to what power do I have? Uh, how am I using it? Am yeah. I, right? It's a very different narrative. Yeah, very much so. And then I think the grace is even magnified all the more exactly. because it's like he needs it, he needs it so much yes. more abundantly in that yeah. case. This isn't two people that fell in love and had an affair. No. This is a guy who wanted what he didn't have and he, he took it and then he killed to cover it up. Mm. That is so evil. <laughs> yeah, totally. I know you guys are loving this conversation with Dr. Glan as much as I am. And because of that, I want to tell you about the other sponsor that actually helped to make it possible, HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so that you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. You can make family dinners everyone will love with HelloFresh's picky eater, kid-tested and approved family plan recipes. The best! Anyone can feel confident when cooking with HelloFresh because they provide these simple recipes outlined on pictured step-by-step instruction cards. My three-year-old Hadley loves helping me with these meals. Don't worry, you won't spend all night in the kitchen because the recipes only take about 30 minutes, which is max in our house. Get out of that recipe rut and start cooking outside your comfort zone by discovering new delicious recipes in each week's box. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com slash JourneyWomen30 and enter JourneyWomen30. That's HelloFresh.com slash JourneyWomen30 and enter JourneyWomen30. Now, back to my conversation about women with a past with Dr. Sandra Glaude. Do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite vixen? Yeah, Rahab is my favorite. Mm, Could you share a little bit of her story with us? Yes. So Eva Bleeker was the author who 
looked at Rahab and I had never noticed, again, you have Rahab as a foil in the same way that uh, you, as I was describing, you know, Zechariah versus Mary in the past. You have these spies who have had a front row seat to all the miracles of God, right? 40 years back, you know, we, he parted the Red Sea and there's been manna and quail and, you know, shoes that didn't wear out. And the last time we were in the village of Shittim, the men were committing immorality and God was doing some serious judging of them. Mm. And so the story of Rahab picks up in Shittim, mm. which is sort of like today with the name Harry Weinstein. Like, mm-hmm. imagine it was like, so I was in Weinstein's office, your audience would go, wait, what? Mm. And that is the effect that setting this story in Shittim would have. And that is where the spies are sent out from. This place that the last time we were there has been an awful immorality. Mm. And where is the first place they go? They go to Rahab's house. Wait, what? Yeah. Like, read between the lines. And Rahab, instead of them giving this awesome testimony to Rahab, She's the one going, I've been hearing about your God. I heard what he did 40 years ago when he parted the Red Sea, and everybody is terrified of him. And basically, what do I have to do to believe in your Yahweh, Elohim? She, he, she uses the three names for God. Mm. She is just completely ripe for the gospel. And you know she's hiding them. She's lying for them. She's doing everything she knows to do to side with them. And you know why are we remembering then that she was a prostitute? Yeah. Like, Whoa, this woman risked it all. And so afterward, afterward, what's so interesting is she's been told that we're going to spare you when we come to destroy your city. God has told them in the conquest, you need to take these cities. And we get this fear that, wait, is God doing genocide? And then you have this story of this one person who believes. And it suggests that God always spares the one who's willing to believe. These people have, if she's heard for 40 years what God had done for Israel, these people know. They've been hearing about this God. It's not like they've never heard. Yeah. And we don't know that God didn't spare a whole lot of other people. We just have this one story that tells the kind of God that he is. And what I I love especially about this story is as the army is coming and Joshua sees this shining creature with a sword, which you know is an angel— he says, whose side are you on? And you expect to hear, well, why yours, Joshua? Well, you know, what do you think? I promise, but it's not. The answer is God is on God's side. Mm. So again, we have this idea of Jews are in, Gentiles are out. But from God's perspective, yeah. it's no, the one who believes in me is in, and mm. the one who doesn't is out. I am for myself, not because I'm an arrogant God, but because mm. I know that I am the best thing for you. Mm. Yes. And so I just, I had not noticed that important part of the story till Eva Bleeker turned in that chapter. Wow. Um, that is yeah. so cool. Well, you mentioned that, uh, you know, when you say the one who believes in God is in. How does revisiting these women of the Bible give us a better understanding of the gospel of God's grace? Yeah, we we were seeing in them grace, but we thought it was grace for sexual sin, which certainly God has. But it's so much bigger than that. It's mercy for the person who's displaced. Mm -hmm. It's concern for the slave who, the enslaved person who's thrown out. It's 
pro- you know, here's Sarah probably thinking, hey, I got the child of promise. Don't you mess with him. Like, no teasing him. And it says that Hagar gets kind of cocky, but it also says Sarah's abused her. Yeah. And so we think, okay, if Sarah's the one who's got the child of promise, then it doesn't matter what she does to Hagar. Yeah. And that is not true. Mm-mm. And I think that has ramifications, honestly, for what we think of as Israel today. Mm. Because God never gives any nation a blank check that, hey, if you're on my side, no matter what you do, it's okay. Yeah. And we're in danger of having that attitude sometimes. Right. Um, and, it's, and it's not for Israel's good. That no, we, it's not consistent with the text either. Right. Yeah. We want what's best for Israel, right? Um, yes. And we want what's best for our country. We want what's best for our people. And God has a heart for the vulnerable. And mm-hmm. you think about Proverbs 31, we, we're so familiar with the text about the, the, you know, the godly mm-hmm. woman. But yeah. before you get to that, there's a verse about speak up for those who are voiceless. Mm. Like that is part of why most Christians really hate abortion. Mm. You have this voiceless child in the mm-hmm. womb, defenseless. It's our job to stand up for that child. But then we tend to only speak for the you know aborted kids. And it's like, oh, there are a whole lot of other people, people who are looking at euthanasia, you know, people, life at any stage. Mm-hmm. We, we need to value the voiceless, the homeless, the displaced. Absolutely. Do you have any encouragement for the woman who's sitting here thinking, listening to this, that she identifies more with these vixens in scripture, the women with the past that have been misperceived by other people? Like, do you have any encouragement for how they could share their own stories without fear and without shame? Yeah. Isn't it interesting that when Peter is talking to wives who are married to disobedient husbands, he encourages them to be like Sarah, who was without fear. Mm-hmm. Courage. Mm-hmm. We sometimes tr- teach people that courage is for men, courage is for humans. And so the first thing I would say is have courage, sister. Mm-hmm. You know, God is with you. And I am mm-hmm. with you. I am with you is one of God's favorite things to say when people are facing difficulties. But the other thing is, as somebody who revisited the text and came away saying, God has a, a grander vision for women than I thought. Then immediately there are people who worried that I was becoming a feminist. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be, you know, a radical feminist. That wasn't what I was going for. Mm-hmm. And but one of the <laughs> things I discovered in that process was it's better for me to defend other people than myself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if I say, look, the, the scriptures say I can do this, people hear it as you're seeing that in scripture because it's what you want to see. Mm-hmm. So if instead I would look at somebody else who's being limited by people and defend her, then it went over better because mm. people would see I had nothing to gain. You know, if, if somebody, for example, is is identifying with Mary at the feet of Jesus and a Martha is saying, you need to be doing the domestic thing. Um, for, I'll give you an example. I was in a church where a woman for the first time, married woman, uh, felt like God was leading her to go on a short-term missionary trip for the first time in her life. And her husband thought it was awesome, but her mother did not. Her mother said, your job is at home. Yeah. And she said, mom, I, I, it's just two weeks. My husband's happy to be a parent. You know, really, I think God is calling me to this. And it was very much the Mary and Martha story. You know, your space is, is doing, you know, cooking. Um, and she's like, I need to be sitting at the feet of Jesus, obeying him. Mm-hmm. It's much easier mm-hmm. for me to sit down with that mom and walk her through helping let her daughter go. 
than it is for her daughter to say to her mother, I have a right to go. So that's probably my first piece of advice is look around. There are plenty of voiceless people who need you to speak up for them. Hmm. Yeah, man, I love that, Dr. Glenn. That is such a good encouragement. And I think even your mention of the women and the genealogy of Jesus, it's like, God is using those women to communicate things about himself. And I think, is it an appropriate application? You can shut me down if I'm wrong, please, because this (laughs) is me learning. But is it an appropriate application to say that God is using our stories for his glory, like in spite of ourselves in the same way that he's used theirs? Absolutely. In fact, I think it's essential to who we are because you're a hunter, right? I I can't tell Hunter's story. Only Hunter can be Hunter telling Hunter's story. And that's another reason why we should never compare ourselves to each other. Mm -hmm. Because all Mm -hmm. of us and all our stories are needed. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons I love training writers. Because I get to train writers to tell their story to people who wouldn't listen to my story. I'm either too old or too white or, you know, too theologically trained or, you know, whatever. Um, (laughs) For some people to hear me. But other people will hear the people I train who go into, you know, they might work with trafficking victims. Who knows where they'll go? And if they can be better communicators in those spaces, then, you know, all the better. It's absolutely essential that we tell our story. And often, most of the time, our greatest point of ministry comes from our greatest point of pain. Yeah. Yes. So for me as an infertility patient, I could say to another infertility patient, God hears you, God sees you in a way that a woman with five children, even though it was true coming from her lips, it would sound like a platitude coming from her. Totally. But from me, it sounded like somebody on the journey. But the person with five kids can go to the other mom who's tearing her hair out after being with (laughs) kids all day. And she can say, hey. God hears you, right? Yes. We yes. need all of our stories. Yes. Oh, well, what other resources would you recommend if somebody just wants to grow in their understanding of the women of the Bible or just reading the Bible in general? Wow. You know, so I created this series called the Coffee Cup Bible Study Series. Yeah. And one of the things, one of the things that I do in there, honestly, is just to include the text of the Bible. Because yes. so often Thank you. we're so busy dissecting yeah. it that we don't actually just sit down and read, read it, it for cover itself. to cover. Yeah. So, I mean, we would, again, we would never pick up the firm and just, di- you know, start dissecting the meanings and the etymology of words. And so, no matter where we on the Bible are in the Bible, to, to read the whole book through in yes. one sitting, or especially because so much of it was created for oral listeners, mm-hmm. um, to get it on, you know, M- MP3 player, listen yeah. to it in your car as you're driving, yes. listen to it, because it was created to be heard, most of it. So just the Bible itself, and if you want to know more about women in church history, which is also, there, are, that's yeah. also filled with heroes, uh, there's a book called Daughters of the Church. Okay. It really traces women from the cool. first century on, which is super cool. Um, certainly, you know, Vindicating the Vixens is, yes. is designed for looking at women of the Bible. I've got a couple Bible studies, one um, Premium Roast with Ruth. And and espresso with Esther that, you know, look at those (laughs) women. Yeah. You don't have to love coffee. You know, you can love water. (laughs) Just sort of the metaphor of sitting down with a cup of coffee in your Bible and maybe a few friends. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you that I led when I was in college, a little group called Baby Ruths, and it was designed to study the 
Bible. And we actually did study Mary and it was a great, Good for um, you. yeah, it was a really great, I, I didn't put it together. So I take no credit, yeah. but so. they essentially would have to really study the text to prepare them for college. And they would sit wow. down with a guy who, you know, led, I basically led them doing grunt work in the kitchen at Pine Cove Christian camps, like <laughs> for the entire summer and, uh, you know, help them see that they can study the Bible and talk about the things they're learning, even if they have very little actual practical time to study, yeah. just like motherhood. <laughs> and I'm so stoked to get to pass this on to all of my baby roots. I had four summers of girls and I know they're going to be so jazzed because they haven't had an opportunity to probably to, to dissect things like this since then. Or maybe they have, but this is a great resource yeah. for anybody, but particularly anyone who's listening. That was one of my baby gurus. So awesome. really excited about your book and I can't wait okay. to continue studying it. It's just one of those that I couldn't go through quickly because it was too good and too rich. Well, so. yeah, and it's not an easy read. We were, no, it's not. We were looking <laughs> at different levels of people that would would be arguing like with us, right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So we tried to make it accessible by putting a lot of the stories in the first person. But the footnotes, as you notice, do have the like the Greek and Hebrew for the skeptics that yes. are going, you guys are just trying to see something that's not there. <laughs> we're like, I think we're seeing what's actually there. So very cool. Um, well, hopefully. it is one of my simple joys to ask every guest on the show what her simple joys are. So could you share with us, Dr. Glenn, what are three of your simple joys? I'm guessing coffee's one of them. But besides besides the obvious, Jesus and my family, right? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. yeah, which they are. Um, yes. I love to travel. I, oh, awesome. uh, I think traveling has also really informed my yeah. view of the Bible because it's helped me see what's timeless yes. and what's American Christian subculture. Totally. Favorite country? Uh, oh, Italy for sure. Oh, I saw I mean, that you do you do a course um, on Italy, correct? I do, and the, you know the food is yes. the food is great, but then you can consume two thousand calories a day, and then you're going to walk nine walk miles. Off, so, yes. so there's no guilt, right? Yes. It's it's the perfect mix. Um, yes. you walk and so everywhere. Much church history there. You just there go is, in the catacombs, and yes. your hair stands on That's end. That's right. That's exactly so cool. right. So, and I love writing. I yes. uh, really adore getting to help other people learn how to write and tell their stories. So that's fun. And I'm a sucker for a good beach. I don't care if it's cold, rainy, hot. You can lay out. You're, I, I don't care. Give me a beach and I am happy. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Where can people take your writing courses? Is that at DTS or do you do that, that is a, That's at DTS, but it's available. Um, I So my website is Aspire to A-S-P-I-R-E and the number two, like Aspire to the Quiet Life. Okay. I have a section in there for writers that has a bunch of videos and helps. Um, but if you want to take a formal class, I do a creative writing class where you don't have to live in Dallas. It's live, but we're like Hollywood squares. All of us show up on the same screen. Oh, cool. We read and critique from all over the world. Last year, we had somebody in the middle of the Las Vegas shooting. We had somebody in wow. the middle of the hurricane in Florida and somebody in the middle of the flood in Houston. Like we were getting wow. front row seats. There were only 12 of us, but they were at ground zero for a lot of crazy stuff happening. So wow, I that's love really, doing that. really just an excellent resource. And I know so many of our listeners are writers and I hope they'll check that out. So we'll be sure yeah, to link that in the too. show notes. And the last Great. question I want to ask you is as a journey woman for Jesus, who is it? To, who is it that has had the greatest impact on your own journey with Jesus? Uh, it would definitely be my husband. I'm Aww. an extrovert. He's an introvert. And when we first got married, I confess, I did, I was stunk at apologizing. 
<laughs> and my gentle husband finally sat me down and said, Aww. what are the odds that I'm actually always wrong and you're actually always right? <laughs> Just, I said, like, I'm going to own that I'm probably wrong most of the time, but I really can't own that I'm always wrong and you're always right. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that a kind way to yes, put it? It's like, that is. yeah, that was, yeah, you faced me on that one. Um, so many times he has... But even like when we were at the beach last week and my daughter, I don't know what she was doing. She was totally annoying me. I can't even remember what, you know how families are. And yes. I, you know, I gave my husband this look like, and he, he pulls a piece of chocolate out of his, his pocket and just kind of smiles and hands it to me. I'm like, I married well <laughs> chocolate. I can tolerate annoyance for the rest of the day. Oh, that's so wonderful. Can you share yeah. where he works in East Africa? Or is that something Yes, that yes. So he is the East Africa Field Director for East West Ministries. And basically how that works is they are at like the third generation of Christians. So they don't need Americans living on the ground mm-hmm. for the most part. They are pastoring. They're doing a great job. But they don't do spreadsheets. They don't do five-year plans. And that's where he comes in. Uh, he can help them come up with a sermon series. He can help mm-hmm. them learn how to study the Bible better. So he flies in about three times a year for two weeks and does all that FaceTime with them, um, does conferences or whatever they have asked for. Cool. They're directing what they need. So we're not building orphanages. We're emptying orphanages. Where there's an orphanage, we're trying to find family members who mm-hmm. we can take the same amount of money and supplement their income so the kid is not in danger of being uh, exposed to a predator. Yeah. And also always has a home. You know, you don't graduate at 18. Yeah, Um, totally. Well, I asked selfishly because my brother and sister-in-law are in South Sudan right now. And our two best friends, Brooks and I married best friends, which is really convenient and wonderful. They actually were in South Sudan for a very long time. And my mentor from college is in Uganda. So I just have a lot of ties over there. And um, yeah, that's really cool to hear that. And I also took particular notice because my sister-in-law worked with IJM that all the profits of your book go to a wonderful missional organization called International Justice Mission. So everyone should go buy the book. We'll link to it all in the show notes. And Dr. Glenn, I am so thankful for my time with you today. I feel like I have just been sitting at your feet and I wish I could come do that at DTS like every (laughs) single week. Hey, you can register from afar. But anyway, (laughs) it was great talking to you. You asked great questions about important stuff. So blessings to you and your listeners. Awesome. Y'all, I could have sat and talked with Dr. Glan all day. So much goodness packed into one conversation. This episode was edited by Chris Mann of Podshaper. You can find the details on everything that Dr. Glan and I talked about in the show notes at journeywomenpodcast.com. If you want to talk more about the topic of women with a past throughout the week, you can join us over at Journey Women Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And lastly, if you are enjoying these conversations, I would love it if you take a few minutes to leave a rating and review on iTunes. This just helps us connect with other women on their journeys to glorify God. It's such a joy to journey with you all. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. Oh,